0: Hi, I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today, we talk with Ira Biak. He is a leading palliative care physician, author, and public advocate for improving care through the end of life. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Dr. Bayek, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: You know, throughout a lot of the books that you have written, you really talk about dying well. Do you feel like dying well is possible in America?
1: Oh, of course it is. It's it's not easy, and it takes some planning and preparation, but absolutely.
0: Well, that's good to know. Let me ask you this. Are we in the healthcare industry making it worse or making it harder for people to die well?
1: I, I think there are several things happening uh, at once that are um, sort of in in contrast or or sometimes uh, tensions that are in conflict with one another. Uh, On the one hand, um, medical uh, care continues to be largely focused on disease diagnosis and treatment. and um, Thankfully, with uh, ever-increasing breakthroughs in in medical science, it's becoming more um, possible to fight disease longer and keep people alive far longer than they were in any time in human history. That's a good thing, uh, but inadvertently, uh, while we've um, strived to uh, fight disease uh, and, and maintain health, we've made it harder in many regards to, to die. Um, on the other hand, the uh, expansion and, and evolution of hospice and palliative care has made uh, it possible for people to get sophisticated care that is both high-tech and, um, and high-touch. Um, attending to their, you know, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual well-being and the well-being of their families.
0: So, what are the barriers? What do you see as the barriers in these areas that you're, you're talking about of, of preventing that? Is it just because of the, the, the ability or the need or the want to cure individuals? Because in, in some, of the, the, some of what you're saying, I, I'm feeling like we're prolonging death a little bit.
1: Well, we're not serving people well, that's for sure. There are many barriers, and you know, the Institute of Medicine has laid this out in about six different uh, national reports, so none of this is new. Uh, uh, First and foremost, we're not training our doctors and nurses to care well for dying people. Our our training is solely focused on uh, disease diagnosis and treatment, and uh, we we train doctors particularly in a transactional model that they're supposed to do something for or to patients, rather than in a relational model where you know we find out before we find out what's a matter with you, we find out what matters most to you right, and, and are able to, to follow not just um, um, physiologic parameters but the actual subjective experience of patients and their families. That's number one. Um, our, um, our insurance and um, Medicare and Medicaid parameters are solely focused on diagnosis and treatment of disease. Well, we doctors have a hard time justifying uh, time with a patient if um, it's not "quote unquote" medically necessary. Meaning that there has to be something functional or or physical that we can document that's a problem for them. Um, dying uh, isn't seen as a problem, right? And and uh, um, unless we're trying to you know prolong life, the quality of people who we acknowledge to be dying isn't really medical. It's dis- it's um, it's personal. I actually agree with that. But I also think that healthcare is inherently personal and that if we're doing this well, we should be attending not just to the physiologic, but to the um, to the lived experience of people we're caring for. So that's really a problem. Um, we're going to get down to talking about why, um, hospice uh, lengths of stay are so long or so short rather when for over 25 years, we've been trying to increase the amount of time that people are coming to hospice. But in fact, some of that is, um, insurance based and Medicare based. It's not enough to be dying to get hospice care in America. You also first have to agree you are dying, something that few people are willing to embrace, and you have to be willing to give up treatments for your disease that may allow you to live longer and live better in order to get hospice care for your comfort and quality of life and your family support.
0: So, let me ask you what kind of things does the individual need to know prior to being part of this healthcare system as we grow older? It, don't you feel like the consumer, the individual, has some responsibility in this healthcare system that we are presently in?
1: Individuals and families have a great deal of responsibility. In fact, um, they're not being well supported in discharging those responsibilities. I think that what people need to know is that you have to be somewhat wary of the health system. It's not lack of compassion or insensitivity on the part of doctors and nurses. But the health system is designed to fight disease and keep you alive longer. It is blind in large measure to your comfort and quality of life and allowing you to die gently and die well. Yes, hospice and palliative care exist, but in large measure, they are ignored by many aspects in the healthcare system. And there's variation and there's some places that do it better than others, but in many, many places... Hospice and palliative care are only brought in at the brink of death. So one has to be an advocate for oneself and one's family. You need to know what the prognosis is for your loved one or yourself. You need to have a sense of personal inventory of things that would be left undone or unsaid if you were to die suddenly. That's a good screen in in my practice. I find if I can gently you know, bring up to people that all of us, including myself, is at risk on any given day of dying suddenly. And it's a useful exercise to think personally, reflectively, what would be left undone in my life today if I were hit by a truck or had a sudden stroke or heart attack. When people are seriously ill, obviously that, you know, the risk of dying suddenly is heightened or the risk of of having a sudden neurological Uh, problem that leaves you unable to speak for yourself is is somewhat higher and so that exercise of going through that inventory is important making preparations is really key dying well or the quote-unquote good death is not a matter of luck it's largely a matter of thoughtful reflection and preparation right and it starts with some of the basics if, if, heaven forbid, you were to uh, have a sudden stroke, who would you trust to speak for you in working with your doctors to make medical decisions? Would it be your spouse, your adult daughter or son, uh, a brother or sister, someone else?
0: And that's really what's happening in America right now is this really big push for advanced care planning, even though advanced care planning seems to be some med speak or some kind of language that the normal day individual is is trying to get comfortable with. Um, but really, that's this whole push with advanced care planning. You know, the big thing is once everyone takes those steps, it's difficult to implement those in an acute setting such as a hospital if everyone is not on board, because that really stops the physician from feeling comfortable feeling that like they could do or implement some of these advanced care decisions that represent the patient's Wishes. We
1: now know what quality looks like. It's being practiced in multiple exceptionally good centers across the country. It's been described by the Institute of Medicine and most of our uh, specialty societies. We know that in order to provide the best care we possibly can to each individual, it requires state of the art diagnosis and treatments, but it also requires something called shared decision making that applies that best practice treatments in a way that is consistent with the values, preferences, and priorities of the people concerned. Financially, it's in the ACOs and hospitals' best interests as well, because the silliest thing to do is to provide expensive care that you're not being well paid for that you find out later people actually would not have wanted, right? And that, that Um, situation is quite common in America today. It decreases quality and it increases costs. That's nonsensical.
0: So, how how would you help some of these healthcare providers to sort of give them a couple of tips on how to engage conversations with their patients within those acute settings to prevent some of these long-stay ICU incidences that you just referred to?
1: So these days, there are a number of courses that we can make available to the workforce. The Center to Advance Palliative Care courses, online courses are wonderful. There's a, a group called Vital Talk which gives um, comprehensive training in communication. There's the Ariadne Labs in Boston, where Atul Gawande and Susan Block and Rochelle Bernacki are teaching something called the Serious Illness Conversation Guide, a remarkably useful practical tool. We can teach patients and families what to expect in these conversations. In my own health system, we're using the videotapes that were developed by Angelo Volandes, a physician at Mass General. You can learn about these through a site called acpdecisions.org. And there are brief three- and four-minute videos that discuss things like advanced care planning, advanced directives, the use and limitations of CPR, What is hospice? What is palliative care? Those sorts of topics that doctors and nurses may not well be trained to talk about, but um, Dr. Volandes and his colleague, Dr. Aretha Delight Davis, talk about very easily and very accurately so that it tees up a conversation that others can follow up on.
0: Do you feel like the universities, the medical schools are taking a different approach to training their physicians coming through school?
1: I think that they are making incremental changes, but dramatic improvements are really needed.
0: So, to wrap up some of this conversation, give me some advice on how you can help or we can help the everyday individual who's facing a chronic or serious illness. What are the top three tips that if I was diagnosed with a serious illness today, what were the three things that you would say this is what you need to do from the beginning?
1: have a talk with your family about what matters most choose somebody to speak for you if you're unable to speak for yourself write that down in a formal way in an advanced directive so that you don't have to deal and your family doesn't have to deal with an ethics committee or a court or some other um, legal mechanism to make decisions and so that you can prevent conflicts among the people who love you and who you love that's really key Um, Get the best medical treatment for your disease as you can. Get a a second opinion. Get a third opinion if you need to. Get a fourth opinion. But make sure one of those opinions is with a palliative care team because they can help bring state-of-the-art treatment for your comfort and quality of life right along with the diagnosis and treatments for your conditions, for your medical conditions. Don't be afraid to speak strongly to um, your doctors and nurses. Write down questions that you might have uh, between appointments. Make sure you know who to call after hours. If you develop a fever or a pain that is new to you or the pain that you're familiar with isn't getting better with the medications or treatments that have been prescribed, who who do you call after hours? Because if you if you're not clear about that, and you call your doctor's office, you're going to get a recording that says, if this is an emergency, call 911 or go to the hospital. And that's likely not where you want to be if something can be managed at home. Think about getting uh, hospice or palliative care involved early, even while you're home. Don't be afraid to, to acknowledge that every life comes to an end and make preparations for that too. Not to be morose or to give up hope, but to live as fully as possible through the very end of your life.
0: That is such great advice. My One of my last questions is, you know, the baby boomers, they radically changed the birth process. Do you really think that the baby boomers are going to revolutionize uh, the dying process? Or do you feel the next generation is going to do that?
1: I think that we still may make a big impact. I've also written pretty extensively about the analogy of the uh, natural birth movement and taking back. Uh, pregnancy and and you know prenatal care and and uh, labor and delivery practices from the medical system. I think the analogy is actually a strong one, but it's not clear that the same consumer orientation and activist zeal that we had when we were having babies is still existent in the boomers today. And frankly, this is a place where the assisted suicide movement is sort of distracting or or redirecting a lot of the activist zeal that is needed to actually fix medical education and it won't be pretty to fix medical education. It will be controversial. There'll be a lot of fighting involved to fix staffing in nursing homes. There's going to be consumer, citizen consumer activism needed to fix this. Um, And I'm not sanguine that we boomers are going to rise to the task. I hope we, we are. I write and speak a lot about these issues. We still can do it, but frankly, the jury is out on whether we will rise to this occasion.
0: I see there's still a chance and we. I hope that uh, the baby boomers do pave the way just like they did with the birthing process for my generation, Generation X. Thank you so much for joining us today. You... And what you've done for the end-of-life industry with hospice, with palliative care, the way you talk, uh, Dr. Bayoc is, is how I relate to end-of-life. And if we could educate individuals just to be more frank and use common language like you are doing, I believe that we can definitely have an impact on helping our fellow Americans die well, um, especially if they know how they want to die. It's going to impact where and how they do this. So I really appreciate the time and your comments. Thank you so much. And we will chat with you sometime soon. Thanks, Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.